Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. Today, I couldn't be more excited to speak with my friend, Joe Dixon. Uh, Joe is the co-founder of Maryfield, which is a clean label loyalty app. Uh, he's also the former head of quality standards uh, at Whole Foods. And uh, just to make it more impressive, he often was a founding member of the Non-GMO Project and also a member of the Organic Standards Board. So what Joe knows is a whole bunch about food and specifically about how we communicate about food to consumers, which is what we're going to talk about today. So Joe, thanks so much for joining me on Future of XYZ. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for having me on. And I'm, I'm so excited that you're doing this, like pulling together these fascinating conversations about things you're curious about. It's just so engaging and interesting, and it's always fun to talk with you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel the same, which is why I'm so uh, excited that we get to be talking about the future of food labels today, um, which, you know, I don't know. I think probably it behooves us to kind of start with what are food labels and what's what's this topic all about? Totally. So, I mean, what is a food label besides, you know, the sticker on a can of soup or tomato sauce? Um, you know, what what I've spent a lot of my career working on and thinking about in my role at Whole Foods and my roles working with non-GMO project and USDA and others is this sort of like, how do we give meaning and how do we evaluate and weigh the promises that we make to consumers on a food label? You know, what do words like organic and non-GMO and paleo and keto and sustainable mean on a label or on the front of your store or in whatever promises you make to shoppers who by and large, you know, want to choose better products, want to avoid unnecessary crappy ingredients, you know, all else being equal, want to choose stuff that's grown in a more sustainable way, but there's so much variability in how those promises are made on the label. And so, you know, where I've spent a lot of my energy over the years is in standards that create a clear mapping from those words on a label back through the supply chain to that field or that factory and kind of, you know, attempt to give a predictable, strong meaning to that promise that we've made to people. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's a great, great, great uh, outline and overview of what it is. And of course, I think the, the where we are right now is different, um, certainly from a consumer consciousness perspective about what goes into our food. And that's been kind of a progress, even in my own experience, just, you know, of the last 10 years in CPG. But more importantly, the question is, what's the future hold based on where we are now? Um, so talk to us a little bit about where we are and, and, and where we might be going and what that timeline is. Yeah, so I mean, where we are right now, like like everything is complicated and there's no one answer, but, you know, we've seen a lot of consumer demand for, you know, for foods and food labels, you know, people originally, you know, just wanting to avoid bad ingredients, you know, artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, high fructose corn syrup. Um, we've seen the, you know, the sort of demand go from just avoiding those things to wanting 
simple recognizable ingredients. You know, there's this whole other class of ingredients in food like polydextrose and all those sorts of, you know. Preservative. Well, there's, there's preservatives, but then there's like fillers and unnecessary fillers. things and like the gums, the carrageenans of the world. There's all this like stuff that's like probably not toxic, but it's also highly processed, usually a corn or a soy product and just kind of, you know, it's what, what food science put there to make it flow better or stay better emulsified as a salad dressing or whatever. And I think a lot of people now are looking to avoid those unrecognizable things. And I'm excited about a lot of the innovation we're seeing with brands that are making, you know, familiar products that are useful, like salad dressings, barbecue sauces, cookies and crackers. But the innovation has led them to places where you can do now with recognizable, simple ingredients, what you used to need, you know, a whole chemistry lab to do. Absolutely. And, um, and, I, and the attitude of the corporate, I mean, there's obviously a rise of the innovation, which is largely coming from the startup community and then being acquired by the bigger guys. But it seems that the attitude from consumer awareness has even forced the big guys, you know, the major conglomerates of the world to, to, to change their thinking around this, even if the government and the FDA is way behind. Right. Even when the FDA says this is a perfectly safe ingredient, you know, whether we're talking about food additives or, you know, GMOs are a really good example where our government agencies say they're, they're fine and perfectly safe. And, um, you know, that for a huge swath of consumers, those haven't been acceptable answers and people want to avoid bioengineered crops. And that's driven, you know, originally with the non-GMO project seal, it was, you know, picked up pretty quickly by some of the legacy natural and organic brands, but you now see it like in the gas station on a candy bar. Um, and that makes me really happy. That's, that's consumers who did that, that push, you know, Mars and Kellogg's and all of these big brands to, um, to clean up their products. I think, I think that's so interesting. And so what are we thinking, where, where do we see it going? I mean, it, the change has been so rapid at this point. And I do think, I mean, in the US in some ways is quite far behind at least the rest of the developing world, or I should say maybe Europe um, in terms of kind of naming the standards and, and, and enforcing labeling. So where are we going? And, and maybe it's not just a US question, although I think it's important, but where are we going? You know, it's it's hard to say to identify the one place we're going. I mean, I, the general direction is simpler products, more transparent products, you know, getting past just sort of are there good or bad ingredients in the products to how are these things grown? You know, of course, organic has grown and grown over the years. Um, even in 2020, a lot of the data we're seeing suggests that people are um, really doubling down on buying organic products. And that's, you know, as standards go, goes beyond, you know, just what the ingredients are to how they were grown and what happens in the soil on the farm. Yeah. Um, we have, are seeing a huge increase in awareness of regenerative agriculture, which is, you know, sort of beyond organic, Absolutely. taking, you know, organic ideas and taking them even further in terms of impact on the soil and soil microbes and some sort of very ephemeral sort of beyond organic concepts. And, you know, while, I don't think that that will ever be, or not, I don't want to say never, but it'll take a while for that to grow. Regenerative products are more expensive and harder to find, but we're seeing, you know, with increased scale and awareness comes more accessibility and affordability. Um, and I think, you know, that growth excites me. 
that Thank that you. is that is actually really exciting. What would you say, Joe, to someone who, and I don't mean to detour from this, but I'm curious as you're thinking about organic and the growth of organic, there's obviously some pushback from right. certain people that like organic may be better for me, but it's not necessarily always better environmentally. I'd just love to put a pin in that for a second and have you explore 30 okay. seconds worth of that. That I think too, we're starting to see a lot of people connect the dots between organic agricultural practices and climate impact. And I think that's going to continue to escalate. You know, organic is, you know, A, the, the biggest consumer benefit of organic is avoiding the pesticides and the herbicides that are used. Um, but those also have a really negative environmental impact on the health of the soil and downstream waterways. Um, and especially compared to conventional agriculture, which uses a lot of really extractive practices that are bad for the environment. Um, and so I think, you know, while it's easiest to communicate to someone buying food, the personal benefits of organic, I think those secondary environmental and climate benefits will continue to become a bigger part of the conversation and are still important. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you and, and no, detour on the organic, but. <laughs> <laughs> I am always love talking about organic and what it means. So, so, I mean, speaking of organic, let's just explore. So we have things like non-GMO project. We have fair trade, which is more on the social, you know, impact side. We have organic and France is called something else. And wine, you have biodynamic, which isn't a label as much as an understanding, right? You have preservative free. You have, I mean, you know, whatever. You're, there's so many, many, many. I could keep going. What are the ones that are gonna to rise to the top and when are we gonna get it together to kind of combine these into something that people or a standard that we can really on the label quickly understand? Or do you think that's never gonna happen? Because people who wanna buy better food don't wanna to have to memorize this playbook of 14 seals and which one means what. And, um, you know, will there be one universal seal for good food? Um, you know, I mean, my, my bigger hope is that that just becomes the default that we, can walk into a grocery store and and have all of those things be the default and that's of course that's a future that's decades in the future yeah um but i think it's it's one that's that's viable um you know it's frustrating to me when you look at organic it um it gained a lot of credibility when the usda defined it through a regulation you know it has yeah. a very black and white definition a system of certifiers and inspectors who go to the farms and, and really thoroughly audit it um, you can trust it. But when it became a government regulation, its ability to evolve was yeah. severely hindered. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I spent a lot of my time working on that standard, trying to get stricter animal welfare requirements built into the organic standard. Because, you know, you, you see organic on a meat product and you know it was fed organic food, it was non-GMO, it had access to the outdoors. Yeah. But organic doesn't go far enough in D defining how much outdoor access and the you know animal living conditions and the basic measures of animal welfare. So if I want to buy eggs, I tend to look for USDA organic plus certified humane or global animal partnership or one of the welfare programs that deals more robustly with how the animals lived. Like I'd love for those to merge, but yeah. you know because of a lot of politics, it's been really difficult for the organic sector to get the USDA to evolve the standard in that way. The same with regenerative, like it deals with biodiversity and soil health and all of these, these elements that, you know, a lot of us have tried for years to get the organic standard to better address. And because it doesn't, you know, there's an opportunity for a, a standard over that. So over it. 
Um, you know, so I think there's there's room for um, some consolidation there for like single seals to mean more for people who care about agricultural practices and justice and animal welfare. But some of them are, are so personal. Like, yeah. I mean, if you want to start an argument between, you know, a paleo person and a vegan about optimal nutrition and what should go in food, you know, there's there's yeah. some pretty big differences in philosophy there. And so I still see you know, there, there's room for those sort of personalization driven standards and seals that, you know, correspond to your personal viewpoints on what's good food. What's good food. And are you seeing any standards as we kind of go forward? Like I think about at shelf or online and e-com, right? Are we seeing anything that people like you're seeing emerging, obviously organic is one, I mean, you're talking about like gluten-free, all the like allergens out, right? That's one. What are the ones, you know, that are going to rise, do you think, as we talk about consolidation or we talk about kind of food labeling? I think, you know, fair trade and social and labor related standards continue to rise and continue to branch out into more and more commodities. Yeah. Um, you know, fair trade originally did a lot of, had a lot of impact with coffee and sugar and these sort of Profit, yeah. commodities. And you're seeing it now um, being applied to domestic dairy and, you know, furniture, um, you know, sort of Maybe. anywhere there's, there's people involved in a supply chain, there's an opportunity for better social and labor practices. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that domestic produce. Which um, is great. I mean, actually, that's really nice to hear because it, it was, you know, kind of equatorial uh, agricultural areas that were known for more or less slave labor. Uh, right. And it was necessary under these kind of brutal conditions. And then you look out in the fields of California and you see not something too horribly different when you're looking at strawberry season, for instance. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. I think yeah, those will definitely continue to grow. Um, and also, you know, outside of food, I think, you know, when you get the, the personal care and beauty aisles are an area that um, is a bit behind food in terms of transparency and third party validation of products. And we're seeing, um, you know, programs like the Environmental Working Group's EWG Verified Program um, gaining a lot of traction um, and household cleaning products. You know, those non-food areas have, have a lot of catching up to do in terms of, you know, validating attributes and, and eliciting consumer trust. So let's talk about consumers, right? Because this is really, I mean, when we, we have, I mean, if we just talk about food label, you summed it up so well in the beginning, which is really about like the, the impact of food labels is really kind of the promise that you make to a consumer so that based on their attitudes, they can choose something that they then understand a little bit more about how it was produced on the supply chain side, right? right. It's like that meeting in the middle um, is what the food label really is about and allowing and empowering the, the, the supply chain and the brands to tell its story while telling the consumer what they need to hear to make good decisions. Exactly. What does the consumer, what's the future of the consumer in, in, in their impact on this? And where do you see that going right now? Well, I think, you know, we talked about some of the ways where consumers have driven a lot of evolution and change in food labeling. Um, you know, I don't think it's it's always this one-way street where you're trying to anticipate what the consumer wants and give it to them in the product. It, there's an educational opportunity and a dialogue that happens on the label. You have an opportunity to, A, show someone what this product is, but also explain why it matters. Yeah, you know, I think we retailers have a big opportunity. We, you know, my, Maryfield as a as a um, you know platform that has consumer education as part of it. I think the brands themselves all have a big opportunity to 
to tell the story in a way that that broadens consumer awareness and helps you know drive drive demand for products because consumers understand like what really makes them better and that's tricky you know that kind of storytelling that meets people where they are educates them on what you know what these issues are without being too overwhelming without being intimidating without yeah. you know losing people as you know as a, as a marketer who's worked Absolutely. in this space it's a very delicate art to do well it is and and it's also i mean you are bound by certain standards at the the governmental level as we talk about right which in the us are re- pretty low barrier to entry let's be honest right and then you also have what you as a brand is your ethos. And I think that's what I love about what Maryfield is doing is really bringing together a whole bunch of brands that, you know, have the same ethos and, and elevating that storytelling and, and, and trying to tell it authentically, which of course is, you know, the drum I always beat. And, and I think what's interesting to me right now and concerning to me a little bit in this whole conversation, not our conversation, but the conversation bigger is about access and equality, right? You have so far, far, far too many people in this world who don't have access. I mean, the fact that they don't have access to food or clean water is one thing. Even in this country, we're seeing, especially because of COVID, an enormous, enormous food shortages, even among middle-class people. So all of a sudden, all that we're talking about becomes a luxury, which, which is crazy, of course, because it's good all the way through the supply chain. It's better for everyone. And yet it becomes a luxury. Like, how do we, how do we in this space kind of, I know I'm detouring a little bit, but on the labeling and everything, is it, it's like the tail wagging the dog. If we just keep hoping that people are going to come to it, we, how do we drive down costs? What, what does this look like? Well, yeah. And the more, the more seals we put on the package, the more expensive it gets, you know, and yes, the more better and more ethical it is. But if you're trying to feed a family, especially now, like that's, that's a problem. Um, You know, one of the foundational issues is that we've built a food system in this country, not us personally, but we as, as a nation where, you know, (laughs) not, not, not our personal, but, but, you know, I think we all have a role to play in acknowledging it. Like, USDA subsidies go under right the corn and soy sectors, which then, you know, those those are the commodities that fuel the least nutritious, unhealthiest foods that are, you know, the cheapest and most affordable and most accessible. And I think it's so entrenched and so complicated. And I think, you know, the the CPG sector and the government and the agricultural sector and you know everyone has a role to play in sort of backing out of that fundamental injustice without ripping the system apart but um but it's difficult i think you know one of the answers is scale yeah you know the more the bigger that these better purpose driven brands get the more that they can leverage economies of scale and make their products more affordable and more accessible and in, and influence downstream suppliers right Exactly. You know, I think about, you know, our own suppliers as the case is totally, um, you know, even like the, the USDA extension services, the, you know, there's sort of every County has a USDA office that coaches farmers on how to farm. Um, you know, I talked to mine here in Texas from time to time, those, that whole infrastructure is set up to, to promote conventional chemical intensive agriculture and make it easier to do it that way. And they have relationships right. Like it goes down to that level. So it's like, because that's, I mean, that's the post-industrial, you know, kind of the post-war industrial food complex that we built in this country and exported to the world. 
Right. And they're just, they're very talented agronomists who are just used to doing things a certain way that, that, you know, doesn't really leave a lot of room for different approaches to sustainability and organic practices. And, you know, especially when you get into animal agriculture, like it's just so deeply entrenched in our entire food system that it's just going to be a slog and take everyone involved to continue to scale the good parts and make them more accessible to people. I love that. I think I think that uh, you you came back to the question, which is what's the role of consumers, and I and everyone has a role to play, from consumers to offices of the USDA and, and local farming communities. Um, as we kind of wrap this up, I'd love to kind of play the future of game, and you know what is you know let's just say it's 2020 now. Let's imagine it's 2040. You know. What what does what does food label when I walk into a grocery store like or when I go, you know, online, you know, what does it look like? What do my labels look like? Well, I mean, my hope is that your labels have have fewer seals. None of this NASCAR effect where you look at a label and you're just like overwhelmed because like maybe some of those things that we have to call out now become the default. You know, whether it's non-GMO or organic or, you know, whatever it is, you turn it over and I think those ingredient lists will continue to get simpler and simpler as people realize, like, we don't need EDTA in our mayonnaise or, um, you know, whatever it is. I think, you know, to back to, to my question about the, or my answer about the food systems, like, I hope that I walk down a, the cracker aisle in the grocery store and the focus is more on grains with nutritional value and not, you know, corn and soy derivatives. Yeah, I love that. I love all of that. And, and so when we get to that future, um, are we all a lot healthier or do we just feel better? Or is like the whole ecosystem just that much better off? I think, I think we feel healthier. I think we're eating better things, but, but also innovation has led to sort of the, you know, the healthier things being, you know, just as tasty. You know, there's, um, I think, you know, we've, we've reached a more sophisticated understanding of the relationship between agriculture and the environment or the environment and climate, because we're going to have to, we have to. Um, so yeah. And I think we've, you know, we've identified some of these vulnerable parts of our, the food supply chain in terms of social and labor issues, um, and added some assurance and justice there. You know, it's hard to imagine what it'll look like, but I, I'm excited to imagine it being better in all those areas. Um, I'm, I, I like that future look as well. And if people like yourself keep doing the work and educating the rest of us, we'll, uh, we'll get there hopefully faster. So uh, Joe, it's really, really as always a pleasure, but thank you for sharing your incredible knowledge and expertise on this exciting topic of future food labels. It's always a pleasure to see you and catch up and to, to share insights. Um, thank Excellent. you so much. I'll talk to you again very soon. Awesome. Thank you, Lisa. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.